Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm here in studio with Elias Randall today. How are we doing, Elias? Good. Welcome back, everybody. It's um, it's good to be back in the hot seat doing the doing the show. This is I, uh, I missed two in a row, and I actually had a couple fans ask me about that. Um, okay, when I say a couple, I mean one. One of my friends called, and he's like, "What's up, dude? You haven't been on the show for two weeks." Well, I had one got COVID. Oh, it was all COVID related because I, I had to be sick and then I had to be gone for my quarantine time. But now I'm back for the second week in a row. So it feels good. You're back in the saddle. I like it. Yep. I like it. Well, markets are moving. People are concerned. Yeah. Have you, what's the market doing today? Do you know? I don't know. I haven't even looked. But um, well, to that point, Elias, we actually got a listener question. Um, kind of regarding that, but, um, it was from a listener. His name's Calvin and he wants to know my brother-in-law keeps talking about getting out of the market before midterm elections this year, as he thinks no matter the outcome, of the market, it's going to take a hit. Is this something that we should be concerned about? So I started digging into this. I know you did too. So we could come up with a really good answer and i'd seen a chart last fall put out maybe by lpl or one of our other vendors regarding midterm elections but one of the more recent things i went and found is an article from forbes that really talked about this and kind of what to expect and what i've gathered from the research that i've done is that we should probably expect a fairly high level of volatility leading up to those midterm elections yeah, I, I agree with that. And there's actually um, a chart from a Capital Group sent one out regarding um, midterm election years and then how those like the averages of those years. Um, and I'll get that chart to Molly. But for people who aren't familiar, Capital Group uh, runs the American Fund Mutual Fund. So they've been a reputable company for a really long time. And and, and what you're saying is right. The average midterm election year, it's basically very, I guess you could say choppy up and down a lot of volatility and then almost even just like a flat sideways market. And most of the gains are always made after the result of the election. And then I think this mixed in with what we have now, um, market trying to price in the interest rate hikes, you know, it's just kind of a there's some volatility, but I actually don't, and I don't know, I'd like to get your take on this. I don't necessarily believe that to me, the market kind of slowing down for a little bit, um, and even a little bit of a pullback, I don't think is that bad of a thing for investors. Um, older investors shouldn't be exposed to, you know, to as much risk, or they should have a, the right amount of risk in their portfolio anyway. And, the market's slowing down for younger people to have a chance to keep buying more shares. It's not that's not really a bad thing, I don't think. You hit on a number of key points, and I believe more important than who's the president and midterm elections is that monetary policy probably has more of an outcome on what happens with markets. And up until this year, we've been in a relatively easy monetary policy mode. And now that we've started to see inflation, I, I think the the print for last month was the fastest inflation in 40 years. We're going to start to see tightening of the monetary policy. And what I mean by that is we're going to see interest rate increases this year at some point. 
The question then becomes how much and what's the effect on the stock market? I believe the stock market's already priced in six to seven interest rate increases this year. I heard JP Morgan came out this morning and said they expect six. I think Goldman Sachs said they're expecting seven interest rate increases this year. We haven't seen this in a long time. So I believe that's actually providing as much or more volatility than actually these midterm elections are going to. And then you throw in what's happening in Ukraine and some of the other outside factors. It's just going to be volatility in the market. But here's what I'd actually tell the listener. We don't believe that you should be trying to get in and get out of the market because of macroeconomic conditions or who the president is or because of a midterm election. Because the issue arises in that you not only have to be right about when you get out, but you have to be right about when you get back in. And what he's asking is, should we be timing the market? That's really what this question is. It's not a question of, should we get out because of midterm elections? The question is, can you guys time the market? And the answer is no. And if you go back and look at all the other midterm elections that happen, what, every two years? Every two years, yeah. you'd have to be making a decision whether to, get, whether to get in or get out of the market. And if you look back over the last 40 years, there's no way you would have guessed it right. So why not just be fully invested, get an optimal asset allocation that you can derive from completing a financial plan for yourself, and then just stick to it, rebalance periodically, and exhibit all the good traits that people would exhibit, you know, with good investor behavior. And investor behavior is very important right now. In fact, people haven't seen a down statement for a long time, except for COVID, they expected it. People just got their January statement, and I don't think they were expecting it to go down. Because I've got a couple of calls, oh, the market's down. The market's down, yeah, your account's down. Mm -hmm. It does go down. I had um, someone call, she goes, well, this has just gone up over the last 20 years. I said, yeah, it has gone up over 20 years. There's been months when it went down. Yes. And it's a great it's a great investment that she has. And she was fine. She just was curious. She's like, man, it just hasn't gone down forever. I go, yeah, it goes down sometimes. And people are starting to see that volatility. But this is when it becomes inherently important for people to have put together a financial plan, to know why they own an asset allocation, to give them wherewithal to stick through market declines like we're seeing now. And is it a big decline? No, the S&P is down like 9%, 8.5%. It's not that big of a deal. The numbers are bigger, so people get excited about it. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, this isn't like abnormal. It's just abnormal for our most recent market cycle. Yeah, that that's true. I, and I agree with everything you're saying there. And I'll just piggyback one more thing. Um, you know, are you taking... To me, it's another question. Are you taking reasonable amounts of risk? So, you know, like I, I, th I think a lot of, which we have had a couple calls recently, but I think when you, you know, for us, when you really have, because we, we do a lot of coaching of clients on like, well, this is an optimal portfolio for your goals and your situation. Um, so they're taking the right, the right amounts of risk. So, you know, these short-term fluctuations, I, I don't think don't think bother them at that much and, and probably shouldn't. Um, but then anyone who's, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about retired people taking money out, people who are accumulating wealth at this point, like market timing and market volatility, like none of that stuff should really 
none of that should really have an impact on you. You should just continue buying shares. Because um, what were we talking about the other day? Is it 75% of the time or 80% of the time the market is up? Yeah, I don't know the number, but it's around 80% of the time the market's positive. But, you know, inherently, our industry focuses on the 20% of the time it's going down. And they're not usually right. I mean, think about it. If I went to the casino and said, hey, this wins 80% of the time or 20% of the time, what side of the bet do you want to be on? Eighty percent, yeah. But right. they're not going to talk about that because that's not a headline. It goes back to the the news cast I saw like two weeks ago. Market goes down a thousand points. Oh yeah, but let's not tell them that the actual market for the day finished in the positive territory. It went down from open to some point during the day a thousand points, and it ended the day positive. But the headline wasn't stock market went up one hundred and twenty points. It was stock market goes down a thousand points. That's it. It was so misleading. I, I couldn't even believe they had it on the news because the market was positive for the day. And that's the issue with not having, you know, some kind of a media filter. These are all like the core principles that we've developed over 20 years. And what are the core principles? Well, we should have a financial plan. We should have a media filter. We don't time the market. But people get so caught up in it because it's exciting to talk about it. They, you know, the market going up 100 points, that's not exciting. Nobody's getting excited on the news about that. Yeah, they do. And people do get do get more excited about the losses. And um, you know, I guess it, one of the talking points I've been trying to bring up is, you know, a situation like now, market pulls back 7, 8, 9, 10%. Don't forget about, like, don't forget about all the gains you've had the last 15 for some people could have, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years. Like, don't forget the good that has happened in your portfolio just because there's a little bit of volatility. You know, that's like. It was fun. It's funny, Elias, the, the gal I talked to the other day. I go, well, you know, it's funny. You never call me when it, you didn't call me last year when it went up. Yeah, where, where was my gold star yeah, and my thank you? You didn't call me when it went up. She, was, she just laughed and chuckled. She goes, I know, I know. Uh, but it's just interesting. People never are happy when it goes up, but boy, they're disappointed when it goes down a little bit. And listeners, watchers, you should expect your accounts are going to go down at some point. Doesn't mean that they won't come back. You should just expect the level of volatility when you're investing in the stock market. Um, it doesn't go up forever. Typically, it's going to go down in the interim and come back up. And you know, look at the line of the stock market over time. It's up, but there's bumps and blips along the road. One thing I thought uh, was interesting is I uh, I was on the Forbes researching that, but I also saw another article and it talked about how to prevent financial stress. And I think that people are beginning to feel different financial stresses. I think the last 18 months, people have felt really good about their money. You know, there's stimulus in the economy from, you know, COVID relief checks, PPP loans. You had the child tax credit. So people were kind of flush with cash for the last 18 months. Well, the child tax credits aren't being paid anymore. The PPP loans are done. There's no more stimulus checks. And I feel like people are becoming more stressed out about money, partly because of what we've seen with inflation. I mean, I know I go to the grocery store now, it's like 300 bucks. It used to be 200. I went and filled up the gas today. It was $4.09. It was like two and a half dollars. So we're seeing inflation all around. The average price of a used car is up if you can get one. 
You can't even buy new cars. So people I feel are getting stressed out about stressed out about money. So I thought it'd be good to talk about really the five ways or five ways that this article talks about that we can start to prevent financial stress in our life. Yeah. And I, I want to bring up one other thing I, I read in, in regards to inflation. So um, I read an article. So the, like the average cost that inflation has caused to a household right now, it's like $275 a month. So that's an average. Obviously, it depends where you live. Um, but just as an average, 275 bucks a month. I mean, we're talking over $3,000 a year that people are right now experiencing due to the co um, cost of rising inflation. So if we get, you know, and people are stressed out, like if we get another year of that and that number would go to like, you know, 400 or I'll just say 400, you know, that's, that's very expensive for the average family to take on an additional almost $300 in cost every month. Did that article happen to talk about wage inflation? Like did the wage inflation that the average household saw outpace that? Um, and I'm, I'm guessing it didn't, but it might be a good follow-up in a show to figure out what the wage inflation is versus, you know, so if the average household has an extra $275 a month in expenditures because of inflation, did the wage inflation keep up with it? Yeah, I, it didn't touch on that. It was just touching on the, the average cost to houses. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that is a good follow-up item because, you know, that's if you get a raise, well, that's great. But if it's eaten by inflation, you really didn't get a raise. Right. Well, we talked about this in the last show. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, the price of Cheerios is the same. They're just giving you two ounces less. It's, yeah. the, it's the ghost inflation or whatever we'd like to call that. And that's the stuff that's stressing people out. So I think it leads into this article. You know, people may not be able to tell us exactly how much inflation is costing them, but they know it's costing them more because goods have gotten more expensive. So there's five things you can really do to fight, you know, the stress going forward. And there's one, you can find some therapy. I mean, that's what financial advisors are for is to take their real life experiences. And that's what we do for people. We're able to pull from in our office. We have nine advisors. So I don't even know how many tens of thousands of conversations and scenarios that we've been able to see. And we can pull from those real life experiences to help counsel people and really give them financial therapy on how to be successful and what what maybe the correct moves or actions are for them going forward to relieve some of this financial stress. Um, I mean, one of the things you can do is you can just think of your financial planner as the therapist for your bank account. You know, we can address all the challenges and concerns that people have with historical, you know, scenarios or experiences to back them up. Yeah. And it is, um, I would say that's probably something that a lot of people, um, that they would never guess or they wouldn't know how much of like like a therapy for your finance that we provide, whether it's just getting someone through a financial plan or even when you meet with a husband and wife that maybe their views on money are a little bit different. So you're like trying to help them find the middle ground. Um, I can't tell you how many times that's happened. I mean, we're like the therapist <laughs> for their financial, like it's like their marriage counselor for their finances. They come in here and they're on both opposite ends of the table and we've got to get them both to like a happy medium but th that's good and our our business has changed people still think that our primary function 
is to pick the best investment. And it's so far from reality of what we do. We are way, way more on the side of the, the coach. I look at it as more like a coach, right? If we have an individual come into our office, well, they've already done 90% of the hard work. I mean, we can't do the hard work for them. If you've got to the point where you can retire, we just put the game plan together. Conversely, if you're way behind, I can't do the hard work for you. I can't save the money for you. I can put you in the right position to do it, but you've ultimately got to pull the trigger and execute the game plan. Yeah. And when we do, you know, to, to go to your point there, when we do, when, when someone comes in and we take them through a financial planning process, the, the end result of that to figure out how we can help them. And then, and part of the process is how are we going to invest the money? Um, essentially at that point, it's easy. It's fairly easy for people in our business to pick, um, to pick good investments. And, you know, we, obviously there's a certain amount of research and due diligence that we have to do, um, for, you know, for our portfolios, but all the groundwork is putting together the financial plan to get to the the one page financial plan. And then obviously the, either the prospect or the client, there needs to be a certain level of buy-in um, that the planning and the strategies we're putting together are going to work for them. And then, and then they're going to execute it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately the client does all the, the hard work of the situation. The, the second really great thing that working with somebody does, is it provides peace of mind. So I know when we meet people, we kind of joke when we tell them that, you know, the most valuable commodity we sell is sleep, right? If you can go to sleep at night and not worry about this stuff, then we've accomplished our job. That's the goal is to have people not worry about this or worry about it less inherently. It's money. People yeah. are always going to be concerned. But peace of mind is one of the greatest things that we provide people is a lot of people come in here and they haven't done a plan. And really all they're looking for is some verification or some people right now. They knew they were on track. But all their friends said, you need to have a financial planner. You need to work with somebody. So we're just validating all the good things that they've done and just a little bit of fine tuning. They've done a great job. So peace of mind is really another great you know, avenue to relieve this financial stress out of your life. Just get a financial plan done. If you haven't done one, you can go to btwellshow.com, start a plan. Elias, I'll get a hold of you and we'll, we'll walk you through that process. But I believe that you know, peace of mind is you know the second key to to get, to relieving a level of the financial stress, right? And how do you even value? How, how do you even value peace of mind? Like to me, that's you know having having a good lifestyle, having peace of mind. Um, you know those things are hard to even put a value on. Like things are never going to be as bad as like what the media and um, you know some things you can read are um, out there are. It, it just goes to show no matter what money stresses people out. Um, but if you're, you know, if you're delegating that part of your life, hopefully you can have more peace of mind and, uh, and be confident about what you're doing. There's actually a really, you know, this is the next kind of benefit of this is there's a transformative nature when you do financial planning. I think you hit it on the head. When somebody walks out of a meeting and we put together a plan for them, that tells them with some level of confidence what they can expect out of retirement. Their body language changes when they leave. They just look 
relieve yeah. the stress. They just feel better. Like, like, like a weight. Uh, it's like weight comes off of their shoulders or something. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always curious to this. The people that believe they don't need a financial plan and they can do this themselves. Do they still carry that weight or they got themselves to a point where they're just so confident in their ability? That's why they believe they don't need somebody. But I don't know how anybody would ever get some sense of comfort in retirement if they haven't done some type of planning. Like, how? okay, you have two well, million have bucks. How do you know you're going to be okay? Like, how much can you spend? Because if you just say, I'm only going to take my earnings, that's not going to work. If I'm just going to take my dividends, that may work. I don't know. I mean, if you just spent your dividends and that's it, that may work if it meets your spending. And really, Elias, the last thing that this this working with a plan or getting a financial plan does, it provides financial health and wellness. And that leads to an overall just better sense of financial direction, more financial security um, and all the different things that come with it. If you're sound of mind and health because your finances are good, it's just going to help everything that you do. So if you don't have a plan, go to btwellshow.com. We can help you get one. We want to get you to the point where you have financial health, wealth, and happiness. All right, I'm going to move on. Um, we just got a few minutes left in the show, but I thought we'd tackle this one quick because I think people over the course of the last couple of years have got accustomed to you know, low interest rates and people are trying to buy homes right now. So people are really starting to look at their credit score more. And Rhonda sent a question into um, the website. And if you want a question answered, you can send it to us at btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to answer your listener question um, if you go to the website. But her and her husband are looking to refinance their mortgage, which if you haven't done so and you've had a rate that's three, four, five years old, or maybe you have an adjustable rate mortgage, you might be looking to do this right now because rates have already started to go up. I saw that the uh, 30-year rate was a little bit over 4%. You know, a year and a half ago, you could have locked in at 275 on a 30-year. So rates are jumping up. So I, people are starting to run to their lender and say, hey, I better lock this in before they get out of control, which if we get six or seven rate increases, we could start pushing up on 5% rates again pretty easily on a 30-year mortgage, which people haven't seen for, I don't know, probably the better part of 15 years. Um, I know but, I've never seen it. Yeah, I, I want to say- but I didn't buy my first house until like 2012. Yeah, my first so. house that I bought was in 03 and I was like, like 575 or five and a quarter. And that was an adjustable rate. So the rates were, that wasn't even, yeah, it hasn't been around for a long time. <laughs> But anyway, Rhonda said that our lender said my credit score is 699. I thought it was higher and that it needs to be over 700. Is there a way to increase my credit score in the next three to four weeks? Um, and coincidentally enough, I watch my credit score all the time. So I've, I've had the ability to kind of watch how certain things affect your credit score. And there's a few things that if I were Rhonda, I would do immediately to kind of handle getting your credit score up in a short period of time, because some things take a long, long period of time. But the first and easiest thing is go, um, if you have like LifeLock or you have some credit service, you should be able to go get a free credit report. The first thing you do is check for errors. Make sure there's nothing erroneous on there. And, and what I mean by erroneous, make sure there's not some outstanding, you know, balance or 
you owe some money to somebody that you didn't know about that either has been rectified or isn't yours. Someone might have opened credit in your name and you don't even know about it. So that's the easiest thing is to check for errors on your credit report. It's going to have one of the biggest effects on it. But in my opinion, the fastest way to get over 700 if you're at 699 is to figure out what your balances are and pay down your balances. You don't have to pay them all the way, but if you take your credit utilization from, let's say you have $100,000 of open credit, okay? Home equity lines of credit, a car loan, or just not not that, home equity lines of credit, credit cards, okay? Mm -hmm. Now let's say it's 100,000 total and you'd have utilized 30% of it. If you go knock that down to like 15,000, you're gonna watch your credit score jump because you took your credit utilization down by 50%. And credit utilization is one of the largest factors on that actual credit score. Yeah, and couldn't you also, well, I know, I can't you call and ask for a higher credit limit? You, I mean, that's one of our, that was one of the options yeah, on yeah, here you, too. Because really what you're doing is you're trying to get a better credit utilization number. So yeah. if you had 100,000, you got your limits raised to 115, it lowers your credit utilization. It will happen faster though if you pay it off yeah. or pay it well, down. Well, I guess if you do both, that would probably be the, the Yeah, best ideally outcome, you right? pay some off, right? If you're looking yeah, at yeah. buying a house, you should be able to knock out five, 10, 15,000 and get that over 700 really quickly. And for some reason, I know she said 700. I always remember the number to get that top in loan rate at like 720. So, I'd also tell Ron to go check with your letter, make sure it's not 720, but paying down your credit utilization could help you get over that 720 really, really quickly. Um, you hit on credit limit. And then um, if you have any, any collections or any, you know, if you owe $250 to the dentist, go pay the dentist off. Like some of that stuff's really, really easy. To just knock out. Yeah, here's what or you don't. A couple don't, hundred dollars in parking tickets that you haven't ever wanted to pay. Well, here's one thing. You, you know, you mentioned getting a higher credit limit. And the key to this, though, Elias, is if you do that, you need to do it with your current companies. Don't go apply for a new credit card. Don't go apply for more credit because if you apply for credit, you actually get a negative ding on your credit score every time you have an inquiry. So one of the factors that goes okay. in there, are I, inquiries. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So if you go out there and say, oh, yeah, I applied for the it's like I, that's why I tell my wife, never take the bait at the store when they're offering you a 15 percent off your purchase to get this credit card. Because really, every time you do it, they're digging your credit because there's a there's a, a factor in there that says, how, what's your most recent credit opened and how many times has your credit been, you know, inquired about in the last 12 months, 24 months. So don't go open new credit that way. Increasing limits is the only way to actually do that. Um, yeah. So when Shields offers me a nice Shields Yeti cup to open a credit card, I should just say no. Elias, I spend more <laughs> money at Shields than anybody I know. You all do you say no? I don't have a Shields credit card. Wow, I'm shocked by that. No. I, I guess I would just figure you did because I know it's one of your favorite stores. No. Well, I don't try not to use Eliza credit cards. So that's why I don't do it because I know it'll happen. I'll be easy to just say, oh, here's the Shields card. <laughs> so no, I don't have a Shields card and I spend more money there than anybody I know. Um, so with that said, I hope everybody enjoyed the show today. If you're looking for help with a financial plan, if you're looking for just a second opinion and want some, maybe you just want to get a, you know, a second opinion and find out if you're on the right track, that's what we can do for people. btwellshow.com. 
Until next time, I appreciate everybody listening and watching our show. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.